Cast. Hello, everybody. Your host here, Earl Breon. Uh, today's episode is a very interesting one, and I mean that in all of the good ways of interesting. Uh, my guest is Mr. Scott Deluzio. Now, Scott, uh, you may recognize that last name. Uh, his father was last week's guest. And Scott runs his own podcast, the Drive On Podcast. He's an Army veteran, and uh, we have a lot of overlap in our areas of interest. Well, we got together to record, and right before we started to uh, press the record button, Scott had this brilliant idea, and you know I don't say that about the Army very often, but there it is one more time, to do a joint, uh, to do a joint episode. And said, well, heck, why not? Let's do it. Let's see how it works out. And I believe it worked out fantastic. Uh, so this is a joint episode. I do encourage you to go over to the Drive On podcast. And obviously those links to that and Scott's work are going to be in the show notes. But you'll hear basically the same exact podcast on his show. But he's got a lot of other great episodes to, uh, to check out. So again, uh, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this format, and if it's something that, you know, maybe you'd like to see me do with some other podcast hosts in the future. So definitely, if more than any other episode, this one, if you have any specific feedback about this type of format, reach out, burden.command at gmail.com. With that, and uh, without further ado, I give you today's joint podcast with Scott Deluzio. Hi, my name is Scott Deluzio with the Drive On Podcast. And my name is Earl Brian with the Bird to Command Podcast. And we're doing a joint episode today uh, where we're, we're combining uh, forces and we'll, this episode will be played on uh, both of our podcasts uh, today. So, um, so we'll, we'll kind of do a little back and forth and, and kind of get to know each other uh, and, and we'll be able to... Uh, you know, tell you a little bit about ourselves. And if you're not familiar with us, you'll, you'll learn a bit about our, uh, us through this episode and, and a little bit of, of what we got going on. So, um, so Earl, um, you know, let's, uh, I would say welcome to the show, but it is also your show as well. So, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll skip over those uh, formalities, I suppose. Um, we'll just say welcome to our show, right? Welcome to our short show, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so let's, let's kind of jump right in. Um, you know, we, we had been, um, uh, we had been talking uh, offline a little bit before we started recording, and uh, we we're, we're talking uh, about a few different topics, and, and I think all of these topics are really important uh, topics that, that each of us has some experience with. But um, one of them uh, that I thought was uh, especially important is uh, the, the topic of, of the transition out of the, the military. Um, I know a lot of people um, get out of the military, and when they, they're, they're – in that transition period, it almost feels like a light switch is going off where they're, they're, they have this military identity. They're either a soldier or a Marine or airman or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, and then the next day they wake up and all of a sudden they're a civilian and now they have to figure out how to go back and navigate civilian life. Um, and you have kind of an interesting story about that. Would you mind, uh, you know, talking to us a little bit about that, that story and a little bit about how that, that went, that went on uh, for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, uh, you know, thanks for asking, you know, and, and I've shared this story, uh, I think, at the beginning of my podcast, but it's good to, you know, revisit and, and for, for your listeners. 
you know, my story is not kind of the, the stereotypical story that's out there right now where, you know, we have a lot of, say, Navy SEALs and Force Recon and Rangers that are writing books and they've got all these glorious medals and combat experience. You know, I served pre, uh, pre 9-11 and uh, my career was uh, kind of abruptly cut short uh, due to the anthrax vaccine situation. Uh, essentially, I went through a, the medical board process because having some issues. And the Navy board came back and said, you know, where you're in weather, uh, you don't have to worry about passing out when you run. Well, being a Marine, you do have to worry about passing out when you run. And my CO made it very clear. And so he uh, processed me for an administrative separation. So I went from being a Marine to being told, you've got 10 days and you're no longer a Marine. And, and I didn't have a lot of time to really process it. You know, I wasn't looking forward to an EAS date. I wasn't looking. Luckily, I got into some of the transition classes. And that helped me get a job in federal, federal civilian service eventually. But in between, I had a stop. Uh, I was working at a faucet factory in northern Michigan, my wife's hometown. And it, it, it stuck with me there, like going from this rigid, structured kind of environment where you could rely on the person next to you to being in a place where, you know, people showed up to work late. They, they took off early. They... And it just, it graded on me. And then eventually getting into the federal uh, workforce, I saw some of those same things, right? And I'm like, you know, this is your starting time. You're supposed to be here then. And uh, I was working with a, a Navy veteran and he's all like, you know, son, you, you got to realize you're not in the Marines anymore. I'm like, well, but dang it. Shouldn't everybody show up to work on time, right? That's something that right. you think, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so it, it took me a while to come to grips with, I mean, he was right. I'm not in the Marines anymore. I had to kind of adjust my thinking. And, and I'll tell you, uh, I'm kind of sad to admit that I, I took it a little too far the other direction because it was like four or five years down the road. I was working with an Air Force veteran for the first time. And he's like, you were in the Marines? I was like, yeah, why? It's like, well, you don't act like a Marine. And that stung, right? That stung. Right, right. Yeah, because once a Marine, always a Marine, right? <laughs> exactly. So you know, I struggled with that balance for a little bit of sure. finding where, like in the civilian world, where that line of, you know, not being the stereotypical Marine is versus being able to hold people accountable. For sure, right. Um, yeah, and, and that's, I, I think, a struggle that a lot of people go through when they, they come out. Um, I, I've, I, I posted a, a question on a Facebook group a, a few days ago. Um, just asking, you know, what are, what are some of the biggest troubles uh, that people have when they get out of the military? And one of the, the most common things that people were posting was just dealing with civilians uh, and, and their, their mindset and their attitude about things, you know, like you were saying about work and, and things like that. And, and the other was uh, just that, that readjustment period and trying to find their place in the world and uh, uh, the missing the, the camaraderie that, that you have in, in the, the service, um, you know, and so that, your story is probably not uh, too far from um, what a lot of other people are going through. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up because, um, you know, I, f I feel like, you know, some people might be sitting there thinking like, oh, geez, this is just me. I'm, I'm all alone in this, you know, but that, that's not the case at all. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who are, are going through this. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's really a good, uh, good background, uh, you know, on you and, and what, um, uh, you know, your, your, uh, situation was like when you, when you got out of the military. Um, 
Now, now, real quick, you know, for, for my listeners, sure. Uh, take, you know, I want to give you the same courtesy here. Take take a second, kind of, you know, introduce yourself real quick. Give your your kind of backstory and and uh, and and who you are. Yeah, sure. So I, um, again, my name is Scott Deluzio. Uh, my podcast is the Drive On Podcast, um, and I uh, served in the Connecticut Army National Guard as an infantryman uh, for about six years. Um, I. Um, I got in in uh, around 2005, late 2005, um, and uh, for the most part, it was just the the one week in a month, two weeks a year uh, training that that the National Guard does. Um, and you know, we we had some uh, state level uh, you know things that that we got called up for for natural natural uh, disasters and that type of thing, um, uh, but nothing too crazy. And th- in uh, late 2009, we were uh, getting ready for a deployment to Afghanistan. Um, and I should preface this by, by saying that my, my younger brother uh, was uh, enlisted in the Vermont uh, Army National Guard, also infantrymen. And our units fell under the same, um, the same brigade. Uh, so, so despite the fact that we were in two separate states, we all fell into the same brigade, and that whole uh, brigade uh, was deployed to Afghanistan at the same time. So, him and I both, uh, we were located in different uh, bases, different parts of the country, um, but but we uh, were both deployed to to Afghanistan at the same time. Um, so, we get to Afghanistan in February uh, 2010, and uh, by by August uh, 2010, my my brother was was killed in action, um, and so um, so that that's a big part of my story and, and my my background. Um, after coming home, uh, dealing with the mental health issues that that just naturally come with being in combat, um, and uh, also dealing with the grief of losing a uh, a loved one, um, and and all the, the complications that came with that um, is a, is a big part of my story and, and where um, where I got got kind of the incentive to uh, try to help other people out because, um, you know, it really wasn't easy uh, for me th- those first few months, even, even the first couple of years after, um, uh, after coming back home uh, with dealing with things like, um, like the, the stresses from combat, some of the, the moral injuries that, that you might have. Um, you know, we, we talked about that before we started recording a little bit, um, which I'm sure we can, we can jump into that topic too, because that's kind of an interesting uh, topic. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, dealing with all that stuff. Uh, and then the, the thing that really uh, eats me up inside is uh, seeing the number of, of veterans who are committing suicide on a, on a daily basis. Um, you know, our, our, my, the company that I was in was fortunate enough not to have any uh, combat-related deaths um, over in Afghanistan. But since coming back home, we've lost several uh, soldiers to suicide. And to me, that's just unacceptable. Like we, right. there, there needs to be more uh, going on and more, more to be done about that. And and that, that's kind of the basis for uh, why I started the, the podcast a little over a year ago now um, is that I, I know there's people in, in the VA, there's people who uh, are out there, mental health professionals who are well-meaning, they're doing their jobs, they're doing the best that they can. Um, maybe they just don't have the resources they need. Maybe they don't have the, uh, you know, availability to, to help everyone and, and do all the things that they need to do. So I figured, uh, you know, I'm just one person. How can I reach the most uh, people out there? And I figured, hey, start a podcast. You know, it's, it's pretty accessible. It's free for anyone to listen to. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about things like, like what you talked about uh, just in, in your little uh, intro there. Uh, talk about 
the transition periods, the, the struggles that people go through and, and bring on real people, uh, not, not people who have uh, only experienced this stuff in the classroom. You know, people who've actually experienced it in real life, uh, bring them on and, and talk to them in person, uh, talk about their experiences, what they went through, how they overcame these things, or if they haven't overcome them, like what, what they're doing to work on that to, to get through there so that the people who are listening know that they're not alone that there's other people out there who are going through the same things. Um, and for the people who have come through this, uh, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and, and that there's, there's better solutions than, than some of those permanent solutions that sometimes people uh, decide to, to choose. So, so that's kind of me in a nutshell, a little bit of my, my background and, and everything. So um, yeah, no, no, I, I love that. And, and it's great. And yes, I, I want to touch on all those, but if, if you don't mind, um, you know, there's one static question I ask, you know, all the guests on my show, and I'm sure, you know, my listeners are, are uh, eager to, to hear your response. When you hear the term burden of command with all of your experiences you just shared, what does that phrase mean to you? Oh, burden of command. That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, the first thing that just jumped in my head um, was, so the day that my brother was killed, my commanding officer uh, was the one who informed me that my, my brother was, uh, was killed. And having known him, uh, my, my commanding officer and, and uh, you know, been on a, a friendly basis, you know, with him and, and everything that had to be one of the hardest things that he had to do. I, I never really spoke to him about this afterwards. And I kind of feel a little bit bad about that, but um uh, I never, never really spoke to him about it, but that had to have been one of the hardest things that he's really had to do is sit down with, with uh, another soldier and tell, tell him that his, uh, that a family member was, was killed. Not, not a friend, not a, uh, a distant relative or, or something like that. But it's like, you know, the, the little kid that you grew up playing in the backyard with like that, he, he's not a kid anymore and he, he's gone. Um, and, so I think of the reason why I, I tell that is I think of this burden that these people who are in charge of the, in the leadership positions, that they need to put aside their own emotions and, and their own uh, personal feelings about certain situations and do what's right for the, the people who are in their command and, and um, take care of those people. Um, and that's, that's a, a heavy uh, burden to, to carry uh, sometimes. And I think, um, I think, you know, it's, it's not an easy job, but, you know, obviously someone has to, to do these types of things and, and there's other situations out there. You know, I, I use one from, from my own personal background, um, but there's other situations where, where the, the leaders have to take charge and, and put their own feelings and, and personal uh, uh, situations aside to be able to lead, uh, their, their people, you know? So, um, that, that's kind of what jumped in my mind when, when you said that phrase and, uh, hopefully that's a acceptable answer for, for what oh. we're talking about here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, that's what I tell folks. There's no right or wrong answer. I've gotten a lot of different answers uh, to that, that question, you know, again, uh, you know, um, for, you know, again, for my listeners, they, they've heard, I've had your dad on the show, Mark Deluzio. Mm -hmm. he, he introduced us and, and uh, you know, I'll say the same thing to you. I did him, you know, sorry, you know, sorry for your loss. You know, we, we talk about that camaraderie and that, that brothership, but uh, you know, for you, it was a literal uh, brothership. 
and I, sure, yeah. I, you know, as much as it hurts, you know, I'm, I'm empathizing with you here on that. As much as it hurts to lose a, I'm using air quotes here, brother, as we use the term in the service, uh, it had to be a whole nother level using a literal brother. Yes, for, for sure. And, and I remember, um, I, I think I, I might've just been in shock, uh, like the, the whole next day. Um, the next day there was a, uh, if, if anyone's uh, familiar with this, it, it's called the ramp ceremony where, uh, they, they bring the, the bodies onto the plane to be, uh, you know, flown out of country. And, um, there's, there's a ceremony where, um, lots of officials, uh, you know, there were generals and there were people from other countries, other soldiers, uh, from other countries and civilian contractors and things like that all came to pay their respects. Um, think of it sort of like a wake, uh, you know, the, the way you traditionally would, would, would see that. But, um, you know, I, I was just in shock, uh, that day and I, I had a complete lack of emotions. Like I, I wasn't sad. I wasn't happy. I wasn't angry. I wasn't, I it just like emotions were just shut off, I think, uh, for me. And it was, it was a surreal kind of experience, um, you know, going, going through all that. So, um, anyways, yeah. um, yeah, no, well, you know, I don't want to uh, hog up all the time since we're, uh, especially this being a joint show. So sure. uh, where would you, where'd you like to take the conversation next? Yeah, well, you had mentioned uh, that you wanted to talk a little bit about the like moral uh, injuries and, and things like that uh, right. earlier before, before we started recording. Uh, you know, what, what were your thoughts on that? What, what, what uh, did you want to say on that? Side? Well, you know, it's, it, it's something I wish more employers and just leaders, period, uh, wrapped their minds around, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting concept, you know, and, uh, and I've heard you talk about it a little bit, so I know you, you get it, but, uh, you know, for the listeners who haven't heard me talk about this before, you know, they, they call them moral injuries because while there's no physical uh, assault, pain going on, you, your brain lights up the same as if you've had uh, some kind of physical stimulus. And it creates that that type of pain, you know. When we're talking about things like veteran suicide, um, you know, you got to think that it, a it's not all combat related, b it's not all limited to the time in service, uh, you know, and c it's real and it's like any other injury, right? You know, if you get a small fracture in your shin, that's not going to do much. If you get a second one, that's going to put you at more uh, risk of total breakage. But as these things compound you end up with a total breakage. And that's where we get folks who end up, as you mentioned, committing suicide, taking the, the ultimate yeah. way out. And, you know, especially in our world, in the veteran world, you know, a lot of people, they think it's automatic, right? You were in the service, you seen, uh, you were uh, overseas, you've seen some stuff, you've got to have all this baggage. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've heard employers uh, verbally say, well, you know, I'm a little hesitant to, to, to hire veterans because, you know, the, the whole PTSD thing. Right. Well, not everybody has PTSD. Uh, and, and not all PTSD is combat related. You're, you're just as likely to have somebody with PTSD because they were a victim of childhood rape or something like that, right? Even a, a car accident or, or, a car or something accident. like that. You know what I mean? Like you could get in a, into an accident on the way to work and, right. and then you, you, have some issues where you can't drive down that street anymore because it just is too much for you to, to handle. And, um, you know, that, that's, it's definitely not limited to, to combat veterans or, or veterans of any t sort, you know, um, exactly. And um, it's just given the skill set, right. To be able to deal with that. Like you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't 
you know, tell a victim of, of sexual assault, well, I'm not going to hire you because you might have PTSD. So why would you say it to a veteran? <laughs> right? right. Exactly. And, and uh, but it's a, it's a skill set that a lot of leaders need is the, those empathy. Right. And, and I think that's the thing that shocks a lot of people when they hear veterans talk about this is we, I mean, it's why we use the term brotherhood, right? We love one another. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, are you familiar with the works of, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman. Uh, I'm not, no, but I, okay. I, I he, am making a note not to uh, check yeah, it no, out. Yeah. He, he's great. He, he's a, uh, uh, I think the, the term that they coined for him is a combat psychologist. He, he's an army uh, veteran and he really studies like the, the question that got him going was how can one human being kill another human being, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes through the whole thing and he's got all these statistics. He shows that all through history, even in war, humans will go out of their way to not kill another human being, even in combat. He talks about all these instances from the civil war where the rifles were, were double loaded and, and they, they weren't used. They'd find them on the, on the battlefield, double loaded uh, Romans, not using the, the gladius the way it's supposed to. They were taught to stab instead of uh, slash, but they would slash, uh, going back to that with that brotherhood right what would he 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 talks about uh we saw a sharp increase in ptsd rates going from uh, world war ii and there was a slight increase in korea but there was a sharp increase in vietnam and he says that the really big difference in there was mobility right after world war ii arguably uh, soldiers saw much, much worse atrocities, whether you were in the European uh, or the Japanese theater of the war. You saw more uh, terrible things than what you saw even as bad as Vietnam was, right? Mm-hmm. The difference was that camaraderie. When it was over, you got put on a ship, you had a, a, a couple months steaming back to, to the USA amongst your brothers and sisters, and there were some in the nurse corps at the time, sisters, to decompress and talk about it. In Vietnam, you were literally in it one day, on a plane, and back home the next, and you had no decompression time. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's something that, that people are seeing uh, these days too, where they're, they're coming back from overseas and they're, they're not getting the, um, you know, the time to have that decompression, uh, at least maybe not a sufficient amount of time right. uh, for that, that decompression. And I think that's something as, um, uh, you know, society we can, can probably have a little more, uh, empathy for. I know my, my return back home was, um, definitely abrupt. I was, I was out in, uh, running a mission. And then the next day I was on a plane on my way back home. And that, um, and granted that the flight took, you know, from Afghanistan is not the quickest uh, flight around the, you know, uh, back home or whatever. But, um, but still, I, I had very little time um, uh, with any other soldiers that I that I knew. Um, because after I left, uh, left the mission that I was on, uh, I was, I was basically I was with other soldiers, but I didn't really know any of them. And so I, I didn't really have anyone I could talk to that I trusted and, and knew and things like that. And the next people that I saw that I, I could talk to and, and I really trusted was my family when I got back home. And um, that that to me was uh, was a problem because I, I didn't have that chance to decompress and, and turn off. And, um, you know, the when you're in 
in a combat environment, you're, you're on alert 24 seven pretty much. And you're, you're in that always on, uh, always ready, uh, mode. You're always, your head's on a swivel. You're looking for, uh, you know, potential problems and, um, and then you come home and, and people might expect you to just, you know, uh, flip that off. Like, like it's a light switch and, and you really need a dimmer. You need, need something to slowly turn it down, uh, to a, to a lower level. Um, and, and you need to be able to uh, handle that with people that you trust and know, and, and who also have been through the same, same experiences as you. Um, and so, so that's very true. Yeah, no. And I mean, and that's extremely valuable, you know, and again, myself, right. You know, I was, I was pre nine 11. I never saw combat. I had a lot of training, you know, just in case it ever happened, but you know, I, even though I'm a veteran, I'm never going to fully identify with that. And we see that a lot in the veteran community and, and this lack of understanding about how different people are affected differently. You know, what I always get a kick out of, and I'm not sure uh, if, you've, if you've noticed this, but, you know, the, uh, the fireworks holidays, 4th of July, things like that. You know, you always get somebody who's, who's well-meaning that'll post, you know, hey, think of veterans as you're setting off your fireworks. This could trigger something. And then you get some salty, crusty veteran and it's, oh, if you don't know the difference between a, a, a Roman candle and a, you know, and it's like, that's not the point, right? right. You have been able to process that and, and you, at the very least, think you're okay. There are veterans that just the slightest noise, what happened? And, and it sets right. them off, you know, and, and I've heard, you know, again, I've uh, talked with veterans, I've heard, you know, sometimes it's a smell. You know, mm -hmm. there's a guy, uh, I guess he was in a particularly, uh, what's a good way to put this, uh, fecal infested area of <laughs> Afghanistan, right? Yeah. And uh, he, he said, you know, to this day, anytime, you know, somebody around, like, you know, uh, sometimes if somebody just passes gas or like if there's a baby and, and you know, they, they fill their diaper, whatever, just that smell of like the, that fecal matter takes him right back to, to where that area was. Yeah. So you never that, know what's going to set somebody off. Yeah. And there, the, the senses that we have are very strongly tied to your, your memories and, and, and your, th the, the thoughts that you, you carry with you. Um, you know, th things like smells and sights and, and noises. Um, I had somebody else on the, the podcast, um, that, that had talked about, uh, how he was in Vietnam and, um, he later went on to uh, learn how to fly uh, helicopters in the army. And um, he was on a training mission where he was flying the helicopters, a live fire uh, training mission. And, and the, the sounds of, of the, the guns going off and the explosions of the, the missiles and, and everything else that he was shooting off um, triggered a PTSD uh, attack on him and, uh, and, and brought him back to being in Vietnam where all these explosions and gunfire and things like that were going off. And it was, it was really a, uh, uh, you know, really hard for him to, to go through all of that, uh, and, and live through that. Um, but, but yeah, all, all of these senses, sounds, sights, uh, smells, taste even could, could bring you back to, uh, something. I, even myself, I was listening to, uh, a song, uh, a few months ago, uh, that I hadn't heard since I had been in, in Afghanistan. And, it took me right back to like the last time that I, I remembered hearing that song. And I was like, I felt like I was there. Like I, it was, I, I was actually in Afghanistan and it was kind of an interesting uh, thing to see that, that powerful effect of, of how closely memory is tied to, to those senses, you know? 
Well, yeah, you know, and that's the thing is, is our brains are, they're, they're weird, wonderful things, right? Like, uh, so what we do uh, a lot here at the Leadership Phalanx, uh, we, we do leadership we, and tie it in with diversity and inclusion training, right? Because uh, our, our kind of standard motto, if you will, is if you understand all the things it takes to be a good leader, you understand how important diversity and inclusiveness is to building a strong functioning team, right? And uh, we, 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 talk about, uh, we talk about a lot of these same things as far as, as from the employer standpoint and how, uh, how our brain works with neuroscience and, and those biases, right? And there's, there's some crazy research. You were talking about the senses. Uh, there's a gentleman, John Barge, uh, out of Harvard. And he's, he's almost uh, made a game, if you will, out of finding what influences human decision-making. And he, he did this one study where he, he proved through this study that the temperature of your drink influences how you view your next interaction. Right. If you have a cold drink in your hand, you're more likely to view your next interaction a little bit more uh, harshly, a little bit more uh, coldly. Uh, and in, in his specific scenario, he was talking about the likelihood of hiring someone. Right. Oh, okay. And so, leading up to the uh, leading up to that question, he would give r- people a random drink. Some people it was cold. Some people it was hot. And there was a direct correlation. If you gave somebody a cold drink, they were more likely to not hire that person. If you gave them a hot drink, you know, those feelings of warmth and love and, and calmness and all that, that we talk about being warm and fuzzy, they were more likely to hire that person. Interesting. And that's not something you think about, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And then, then, you know, tying all this back into, you know, kind of a leadership standpoint is that, I mean, you're not dealing with robots here. You know, right. you're dealing with living, breathing human beings and they have uh, their own backgrounds, their own stories, their own unique set of circumstances that make them who they are. Um, and you might look at someone who was in the service and, you know, a veteran uh, and say, oh, well, I, I want to stay away from that person because of the PTSD aspect or, or, you know, things like that. They might be unstable or whatever, but um, they bring a lot of other things to the table, uh, you know, and, and you can't, uh, can't dismiss them for, for one thing uh, that, that may or may not even be an issue. You know, it's just right. kind of a, a little bit of a bias that you might have. And so, um, yep. you know, we, we, we're all, we all have our own unique set of uh, issues that we're carrying around with us, you know, whether you served or not. And, uh, and I, I think, I think that's just uh, something that you have to learn how to, to work around. Um, do you have any, uh, you know, thing that, that, uh, you know, any background on that and anything that you want, you want to add to that? Well, you know, no, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it, it is a bias, you know, and, and, the hardest thing for us to do is get people to admit that they have biases. You know, we've seen people who have tried to, you know, classic example, a few years back, Paula Dean, you know, she tried to admit and come clean that, you know, maybe she had, or that she had used some racially insensitive language 20 years ago. You know, nobody found this. Nobody stumbled upon it. She admitted it and, and apologized for it, but she got beat over the head. And basically Paula Dean went from being everywhere to now you, you hardly ever hear of her. Right. Right. But it, it, you should be okay to admit these biases because we all have them, right? Mm-hmm. And if your bias as a hiring a, a official is, 
I'm not going to hire veterans because I don't want to deal with these issues. Okay, fine. Be, be uh, forward about that and talk to people, right? Educate yourself. What is it that is unique about veterans and how can you better lead them? Because like you said, we bring a ton of skills. You know, uh, every one of us, we have, as we talked about in the opening, right? There, there's a set of standards that we love to live up to. We're going to show up on time. Uh, we're going to do the job to the best of our ability based on the guidelines that are set out in front of us. Uh, and we're going to bring a set of leadership skills to the table that most of the people on your team, whether they have a college degree or not, have never been exposed to, right? right. I mean, you know, for instance, uh, you take an IT in the Marines versus an IT straight out of college, that IT out of college is going to be good, but you're passing up on a lot of experience, leadership, adaptability, all of these things. And uh, companies like Google, right? Uh, Google just did this whole over the past six, seven, eight years on their hiring practices. And they've stopped looking at GPA. They've stopped looking at your level of degree and all that, right? And they look for, are you dependable? Are you adaptable? Uh, can you get along? Do you have teamwork skills? And they've shown that those are much more valuable and much better indicator of somebody's success as an employee. And we bring all of those things to the table. Most. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's always, there's going to be exceptions for, for every rule, but um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, you, you just hit the nail there on the head uh, that, that most of us will, will be coming out of the military with those, those types of uh, leadership traits. And what, one of the other things too, that I don't think a lot of people realize, I know this is true in the army. Uh, I don't know about the, the Marine Corps or other uh, branches of the service, but um, they, in the army, they always told us that you should be able to do the, the, the job above you and the job two two jobs above you uh, and and including your own uh, and and everything uh, below you is in terms of the the rank structure um, and and I found that to be very true when I, I was in uh, Afghanistan um, I was um, a team leader uh, on paper uh, that was in in uh, charge of three or four guys uh, at, at any given time um, but realistically. Uh, we'd go out on missions and sometimes I would be in charge of the entire mission and I'd be in charge of, uh, you know, 20 or 30 guys uh, at, at that point. So I was, I was doing much more than uh, the, the, the job that I was uh, supposed to have, you know, in air quotes on paper, um, you know, and so there's that ad adaptability that you were talking about where, uh, where just because something changes and uh, a situation comes up, you need to still be able to do whatever job uh, is, is presented to you. Um, you know, think, think about uh, if everyone, uh, you know, in a, a army unit goes out and does the job that they're doing on paper, uh, you know, they're, they're in charge of X number of people and they're, they're doing whatever their job is. Um, and then an enemy attack happens and someone gets taken out. You have to adapt right away. There, there's no transition period there. It's now you're stepping up into that next guy's shoes uh, and, and, taking over his job because that's just that's just how uh things have to, to happen and and uh if you if you don't people or if you hesitate people are going to end up getting hurt um and and so with that sort of training a lot of veterans i think are going to have that mindset where I, like yeah okay that's not in my job description but it's still a job that needs to get done and i'm going to do it because i see it needs to be done and i'm, I'm just going to take care of it until it 
till it gets done. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, that people uh, will miss out on if they, they pass over uh, veterans for the, for the fact that they're veterans, you know? Right. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, you know, I, I like to throw in movie quotes because a lot of people's uh, uh, experiences with the military are, are through movies. Right. And, and, you know, for the folks who are kind of having a trouble, maybe completely grasping what Scott's talking about here, you know, they have that great scene in the movie uh, We Were Soldiers with uh, Mel Gibson where they're, they're doing the landing for Air Cav and like he just walks up to the, the skid plate and he, he slams the sergeant on the chest says, you're dead. And he points to the corporal and says, you're in charge. What do you do? And he hesitates. And he smacks him in the chest and says, you're dead. And he points to the next guy and says, okay, he's dead. What do you do? <laughs> and, and yeah, you, you've got to be willing. We, we do the same thing you know, in the Marines. We talk about everybody's a leader and, and we're supposed to hold each other accountable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and it's true, right? And, and I think that's another thing in the civilian world where it's kind of a, an irony, right? Because, yes, we have a rank structure. We're supposed to respect the rank and, and the command. But, and maybe the Army is a little bit different, but in the Marines, you know, if you see somebody, it doesn't matter if you're a private and you see somebody who's not doing something right, you have a responsibility to look out for them and say something. Right. And in the corporate world, you know, they're almost uh, a very, it's almost a religious, we're going to stick to the chain of command. And if you jump it, it's, it's this cardinal, cardinal sin. Or if you talk above your pay grade, you know, how many organizations have you ever been in where the janitor is, feel, is free to talk to the CEO? Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, other than, are you done with that? Can I take that for, you know, exactly. you know that type of thing? Like outside of that, there's very little interaction. But, um, you know, one of the things that you have to do is be able to trust your people and, and yep. trust them to make decisions um, on their own, uh, you know, delegate uh, the 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 ability to, that decision-making abilities to those, those people um, because otherwise you're going to start creating some bottlenecks at the top and, and, you know, things are just not going to get done. Um, but you, you have to allow uh, people to, to be able to make those, those types of decisions. And um, you know, that, that's something that, that I, I noticed in the army um, is something that um, was, was very heavily uh, relied upon is, is the ability for um, the boots on the ground, the people who are actually, in the mission, not the, not the higher ups, uh, the commanders and the, the, all the, the brass who were sitting on the sidelines, who were just hearing what's going on over the radio. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily making all the, all the decisions. Um, they sure they might chime in from that time to time, you know, if they have something uh, pertinent to say, but, um, you know, with, with our, uh, with our missions that we'd be on, we're on the ground. We make the decisions as, as we, we see it. And, and, you know, I was a, a sergeant and uh, enlisted ranked, you know, and sometimes I was, I was the highest ranking person there and I was making the, the decisions uh, on what needed to be done. And so, um, you know, that, that's not the case in every situation. There, there's usually people who are higher ranking, uh, you know, out on these missions, but it's not always the case. So, um, you know, but, but they, they rely on the people who are there to, to make those, those types of decisions. And, and I think that's something that could definitely be applied to the corporate world. Like, you know, especially with your audience of people that you, that you talk to um, on a, on a regular basis here, it, it seems like that's, that's something that they need to be able to let go of and, and allow um, the, those people to, to take charge and, and take responsibility for those types of things. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, like I said, I served in peacetime and to make it worse, I was weather. So I was, uh, uh, I think the army used the same acronym. I was, I was a pogue personnel yeah. other than grunt. 
And, you know, but you, you're right. I mean, even in my situation, I was in weather and uh, I was in Biloxi when Hurricane George hit. You know, here I am, a 19-year-old, just freshly promoted. No, I hadn't even been promoted to Lance Corporal yet. I was still uh, an E2. And uh, it was my turn to do the brief to the, the, the major general, two-star Air Force general in charge of the whole base. And my responsibility was give him a brief on the hurricane track and make a recommendation on what we should do with the millions, maybe even close to billion dollars worth of uh, material and personnel we had on base. Mm-hmm. Not many corporations are going to invest that level of authority in somebody who has been with the organization less than six months. And in some cases they shouldn't, but in some cases they should, uh, right. you know, cause in that instance I briefed out what was going to happen and we, were able to bug out and lock things down and get aircraft out. And Biloxi took pretty close to a direct hit and it was, it was the right call. He could have easily, I'm a major general. I'm the CEO of this thing. You come on. Yeah. What do you really know? Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But, but you know, he listened and, and again, I think that's the thing that, that a lot of people don't get about military service is yes, the rank, the rank is there for, like you said, for, it's almost more of an administrative uh, purpose, <laughs> right? Everybody has yeah. the same responsibilities and on the same mission and, and uh, looking for the same things. And, uh, you have to have that boots on the ground. You know, I mean, just imagine, you know, if you get into to an altercation, right? And well, you know, hey, this machine gun nest isn't where Intel said it was. I'm going to have to adapt the plan. Let me call HQ. HQ's got to call CENTCOM. CENTCOM's got to call the <laughs> Pentagon. But, you know, you, 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 it would be terrible before anybody even got the message up the chain, much less a right. decision came back down, right? Yeah, that, that, that machine gun's gone by the time <laughs> that message gets to the president or whoever all the way at the top of the, the chain that is right. going to that it's gonna get to. And then, then it has to work its way back down. So, yeah, that, that would be a terrible situation. But, but the other thing that it does, too, by, by allowing the, the, the people who are on the ground, who are on the you know, front lines, if you will, um, you know, in, in, uh, um, and taking, being able to take, uh, responsibility and, and, and make their own decisions is it, it makes them take ownership of the, uh, the situation too. And so when they see things start to go sideways, they, they know, okay, this is on me because this was my call. This was, uh, my decision, my idea or whatever to, to go about this route. And, uh, you know, so they'll take ownership as opposed to pointing fingers at somebody else, which we all know it doesn't really solve anything. It doesn't doesn't fix it, the situation. But but when they see that things are starting to go sideways, they're gonna they're gonna make darn sure that they're gonna fix it and they're gonna yep. they're gonna make it work. You know. Yeah. So. No, uh, you know, a hundred percent. And and I get pushback on that. You know, when we're talking to folks, they're like, "Well, you know, I just I, I don't have I don't have people on my team that I can trust that level." Well, that's 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 your fault. If you don't that have is, those people that's on the your leadership team, problem. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have those people on your team, you did a shitty job of putting your team together. Right. Or, or training your team. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe you have a bunch of junior people who uh, you know, are not capable of doing that, but they need the training. Yeah. So invest in the training, you know, get, get them the training that they need. If they need experience, get them the experience, you know, hold their hand for a little bit to, to get them trained up to the, the point where they can make these decisions. And you're confident that they're, that, I don't want to say that they're going to make the right decision because you, you can't have an absolute hundred percent guarantee of that all the time. Um, but that they have the ability to make the right decision. And, and if they don't have that ability, then like you said, you, you made, you made a poor decision in, in creating that team. Uh, right. And, 
Somewhere. You know, and there's a, you know, we talked kind of poked fun at Navy SEALs earlier, uh, but there is a Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. He, he mm-hmm. uh, him and his friend Leif Babin, they wrote the book Extreme Ownership. A fantastic book. You know, it's a fantastic book, but even he had to go on this mission afterwards uh, because what happened was a lot of people read the book and they heard extreme ownership is I need to say it's it's my fault. And yep. you had a lot of people just going to say, it's my fault, it's my fault, I take ownership. And he had to go, that's, yes, that is kind of what I was saying, but you still have to do kind of what you're talking here. You still have to do that analysis. Sure, it's your fault. As a leader, you should have put the team together. You should have made better decisions. You should have given better instructions. You should have done all these things. But you have to go deeper and figure out why and, and why, where you failed the team. And even if, even if the team failed, like we're talking about here, even if, if Tommy didn't do his job, you still failed because you didn't understand Tommy's capabilities and you didn't put him in a position to succeed. You put him in the position to fail. Yep. And uh, so, you know, that's the thing with ownership. It's, it's not just, yeah, it's my fault. It's, yes, it is your fault, but do you understand why it's your fault? You know, it's a question my wife asks me all the time. Do you understand what you did? (laughs) Right? And and that goes back to the whole thing where wives are much, much smarter and better leaders than we give them credit for, right? (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. You're you're not going to catch me saying anything other than that, so... (laughs) But I mean, it's the truth, you know, do you understand what you did? You know, when, when our wives ask us that, we feel challenged. I mean, me, I know I do when my wife asks me that. It's like, well, of course I do, but I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and in my mind, I'm like, I, don't, I have no clue. But when we talk about ownership, you know, it's not just saying yes. It's saying yes, and I'm going to figure out what went wrong, and I'm going to take the responsibility to make a corrective action moving forward, as you right. mentioned. Do I need to train somebody up more? Did I do a terrible job at uh, what the expected outcomes were going to be? Did I just pick the wrong team? Uh, did I not understand? We'll go back to the moral injuries and tie that in, right? Did I not understand that, that you know, Johnny's dad is in stage four cancer and could die at any second, but yet I put a high-stress task on him? That's not the time to put people in high-stress situations. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's for sure. Um, uh, you know, a, a great point. I, I don't think people think about that. They, they look at, you know, they might sit on, on uh, I don't know, I don't want to say a pedestal or whatever. They, they might sit there looking, uh, you know, kind of wargaming, look at all the, the, the pieces of their puzzle and looking at them, at, at, at the individuals that they have on their team as tools, a, a means to an end to, to get a particular job accomplished or, a, you know, job done. And they not may not be thinking of, oh, well, like you said, Johnny's you know dad is going through uh, cancer treatment and he's probably stressed out, or his wife just had a baby and he probably didn't get a lot of sleep the the night before. You know th- those types of things. Like you, you gotta you know these are people. Like I said before, we, we're not we're not dealing with robots here uh, that that are just tools that, to accomplish a job. So uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and and veterans, right? One of the reasons veterans have some of the stigma that they they do is is the uh, the homelessness piece, right? You know, there's a large segment of, of veterans that are homeless. Well, why? Well, when you go back and you look at how in the early stages of the global war on terror, the standard method of treatment was here, take a fistful of pills until the pain goes away. And yep. we're just going to keep giving you a fistful of pills. And then you get people addicted to pills. And then you realize, hey, it's not a good idea to get people addicted to pills. 
And so we're going to stop giving you pills. Now you've got a whole bunch of people who are addicted uh, to, to opi- opioids, but now they have no way of getting opioids. Well, you don't take the time to fix the addiction that you created, <laughs> right? Right. And then you just expect them to fend for themselves, right? Yeah, it's, talks- it's the, the law of un- unintended consequences right. where, where, where you, you're trying to fix one thing and uh, you, don't, you don't look two or three steps down the road to see what the problem, what, what problems are going to end up coming up. From, from all of this so yeah and uh, so yeah I mean it's, it's it, there's a lot of things uh, you know uh, <laughs> this will show my nerdy side right I was a big uh, Star Trek fan and you know they talk about tri-level chess on there right well you know, we got a lot of, of people especially when it comes to these types of issues they're playing checkers when it's a tri-level chess kind of game okay and, uh, yeah we, we, we need to to uh, to do some deeper thinking and deeper understanding. And that's why shows, you know, like drive on, like uh, I've listened to several episodes, haven't listened to every one, but you, you know, your show drive on with some of the guests and, and some of the topics you've talked about it. That's a great, it, it is a great service. And, and uh, you know, I, I really hope and believe that, you know, some veterans have heard that and, and, and hopefully made some better decisions because of the information you shared. So, you know, appreciate you doing that and, and taking that opportunity. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And even for people who are not veterans, who are like, like we're talking about here in a, in a leadership role where they, they might have veterans on their team, or they might have people who are going through a stressful time. Maybe it's grief or, uh, you know, the loss of a loved one or um, some other situations that they're going through. Um, you know, this, the, the topics that we talk about on, on my podcast uh, might help bring some understanding uh, to the human side of things. Um, and, and really I'm, I'm trying to reduce the stigma around the mental health topics and, and other, uh, you know, things that, that traditionally, you know, like I, I know growing up, you know, I'll just suck it up and deal with it and, and move on, you know, with, with uh, whatever it is that, I mean, in some cases, yeah, you kind of just got to suck it up and, and deal with certain things, but there's other situations where it, that's not the right, that's not the right attitude to have. Um, and, and there might be a fine line there, but um, you know, it, to help under, help people understand what's going on, uh, you know, I, I think is uh, a big, big goal of mine uh, and help people uh, get a better picture of the, the mental health uh, that, that we're uh, issues that we're facing, you know? Yeah. Well, no, you said the key thing right there, you know, uh, a few episodes back, I had the, the fortune of, interviewing uh, Jason Armstrong, the uh, chief of police of Ferguson, Missouri. And we started talking about mental health a little bit, obviously around race issues and all that. And he told me they had an officer involved shooting. It was a couple of his officers. Uh, He was, uh, I think, deputy chief uh, outside of Atlanta. And they they put out a call for, you know, mental health services. And, And he said, the first thing I did as soon as I got is I responded to everybody, make me an appointment. And he said, the whole point was I wanted my people at my department to see from somebody in senior leadership that it was okay to take advantage of these. Right. Yeah. And that's what we need more. I believe in the veteran community, we've got a lot of great personalities. We've got a lot of, of uh, very influential people and some of them are doing this, but we need more to sit back and say, look, you're, 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 and General Mattis tried this in a, in a way several years back, but it got kind of taken out of context. You know, the thing is, you're not broken. You're, you're not weird. You're not mm-hmm. weak. 
you're not any of these things. You've seen, you've seen stuff that most human beings shouldn't see. You've been exposed to situations that most human beings should never be in. You should not be ashamed of the fact that you need some help coping with that. And so we right. need more people in positions of authority to, instead of try to, try to, as you said, uh, you know, tell people, ah, oh, well, you know, tough it up, suck it up. Hey, you know what? Put their arm around their shoulder and help them find help. Sure. That's how yep. you're going to help bring 22 a day down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'd like to see that number go, go away entirely. Um, you know, but that, that's a, that's a big number to, to, to chip away at, but you know, every, every number that we can bring it down, every, every one that we can bring it down is, is, uh, is great. But, um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right with that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, and, and, you know, again, I follow, I follow a lot of the folks, right. You know, I think it was Tim Kennedy, you know, Tim Kennedy, like Mr. Mr. MMA, Mr. Everything. Right. And mm-hmm. he even said, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said that there were times in combat where I didn't freeze and, and get stuck behind a wall because I didn't, I couldn't get myself to move. Everybody goes through it. Right. Yeah. You're in terrible situations. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it bugs me to no ends when we see, when I see other veterans kind of eating our own. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that I like to do on, on my podcast is, is get very personal and, and not, uh, uh, not censor what, what it is that I'm talking about. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell the stuff that's, that's not the, the pleasant, pretty stuff. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll talk about my own experiences. I'll talk about how, you know, I, I went to go get some counseling after I, I got back from, from overseas. Um, it, it sort of in a way, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to use a, the term lead by example, but like to show people that it's okay to do that. Um, you know, that, that, you know, I'm, I've done it and I, I didn't come out as some weak sissy, you know, whatever, you know, like I, 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 I feel like I came out actually stronger, um, you know, and, and it, we, I talk about this uh, on my podcast too, one of the earlier episodes um, where, where it's not selfish to take care of yourself. Because if you're dealing with things, mental health issues or uh, regular, you know, any other kind of health issues, uh, and, and you're dealing with these things and you don't take care of them, they're going to end up making it so that you can't do your job or, you know, you can't take care of your family. You can't do the things that you need to do. You can't be present for, uh, for different things. So it's not selfish for you to go, you know, talk to somebody, to a, a counselor or to, uh, you know, focus on yourself for a period of time because you need to in, in order to do that. It's, it's kind of like the example of when you get on an airplane and they, they tell you about the, the oxygen masks that drop down and they tell you to put your mask on first before helping others. And if you're sitting there flying with kids, you might think, well, I'm going to do anything to protect my kids. But if you're, if your kids are scared now that these things are falling out of the ceiling and they've never seen them and there's, there's noises that they're not familiar with and you try to put that mask on them and they're fighting you all along the way, you don't end up getting a mask on. Well, both of you are going to pass out and then you're no good to them. You're, you're not going to help them out at all. So, you know, put your mask on first, take care of yourself first, and then you can help them, uh, you know, so that, so that you both don't end up, uh, you know, in trouble, you know, same thing in combat. You know, if, uh, someone, someone gets shot or is, uh, wounded or, or whatever, um, you don't just run out to go help them as much as you might want to. Uh, you take care of security first. Make sure that that threat is eliminated. It, it, it's out of the way. And then you can go help that, that person. You know, make sure you get rid of that. You take care of security first uh, and, and make sure you do it quickly. Um, but, 
but take care of it so that you don't end up becoming a casualty as well, that now somebody else has to go out and, and drag you out, uh, you know, from the danger zone as well. A hundred percent. And you said it right there. When you went, you felt kind of stronger on the back end. And, you know, the airplane analogy is great. Another one I like to use is, and it's something that most of us in the military, you know, I mean, can't tell everybody looking at me now. I've been out for 20 plus years. So I'm not as lean and mean as I used to be. But before the anthrax issues hit, you know, I was fairly big into, into bodybuilding and, you know, how that process works. And anybody who's into lifting weights knows this, right? When you lift the weights, you put a heavy strain on the muscles and you tear and fatigue them, right? And then we know that we need to take supplements to, to help aid that healing process. So when the muscles grow back, they're stronger, bigger, healthier. And so you can do more going forward. Right. Your, your mind is a muscle. It's the same thing. These things that we went through are putting our minds under immense stress loads. They're getting broke down in a lot of different ways. Going and seeking help is like taking that supplementation. You get through there, you can deal with it. Now you understand more of what you can deal with. So your mind comes out stronger on the other end. It's not a, a fluke that you felt that way. That's actually what happened. Is right. your that, mind that's, became, that's showing that it worked. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we, we, we know this about fitness. We know this about muscle building. We know this about all this good stuff. We just got to transition. Hey, the things that work for physical fitness work the same for mental fitness. Mm-hmm. And, and see those, those services, you know, there's the veteran suicide hotline. There's uh, uh, what is it? Uh, 22 kill is, a, is another one that's out there. Um, there's a, uh, the, I mean, the VA offers a host of services. Take advantage of those, you know, for sure. Help yeah, your mind absolutely. recover. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the best thing you could do really. And if you, you feel like you're, you don't want to put that burden on anyone else. It's like, that's, that's what those people's jobs are. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're there for that. That's, that's, that's what their purpose is. And, and by denying them, them the ability to help you out uh, is, is kind of denying them their purpose in life. Uh, you know, right. they're, they're, they're there for that. So, so take advantage of it. You know, I don't, I don't think there's any problem with that. So. I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, okay. We've been talking yeah. here for about uh, 50 minutes or so. Man. Yeah, we, it seems that way. Yeah, we, the time does fly when, when, we, when we get going on some of these topics. And I, I probably could talk about this for, for quite a while. Um, but I, I think for this episode, anyways, it's probably a good point to, to wrap up. Um, what, do, do you want to uh, give people who are maybe listening on my podcast, uh, you know, uh, where they can find out more about uh, your company and what you do and your, your podcast and everything like that. So if they want to tune in, they can, they can find it there. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, so, you know, uh, my company, uh, my partner is an army veteran. Um, we we're the leadership phalanx P H A L A N X. Uh, we, we rely heavily on some of that, that Spartan, uh, uh, iconography there that is so popular in the military. Um, the, the podcast that I produce is called the Burden of Command podcast. You can find a link to it there on that show. And, uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, uh, you know, typically on my show, I give out burden.command at gmail.com. But given what we're doing here, you know, I, if there's a veteran, especially a veteran who's listening, but really anybody who's dealing with some of these issues, you know, again, I'm not going to be able to talk intelligently about combat-related stuff because I've never saw it but I do understand some of these other things that go, are going on. I'm not a trained uh, clinical psychologist or any of that, but you know, I can be a sounding board. If you just need somebody to bounce ideas off of, or just talk to Earl at leadership is my personal email address. 
and uh, feel free to hit me up there. And if you need to talk, we can work on setting up a uh, Zoom call or something like that. But you know, if you're if you're suffering, if you're on the edge, reach out to me. Reach out to me. Yeah, now absolutely, and I I appreciate that 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 you you're you're uh, putting that out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, for, for my listeners on the Burden of Command, uh, how can they find your show and, and get in touch with you? Yeah, so again, it's uh, the Drive On Podcast. Um, there, you can go to driveonpodcast.com uh, and you can find all the, uh, the recent episodes uh, listed on there. I have them broken out by category. So depending on what you're, you're uh, into, what you want to you want to listen to, uh, you can, you can check out those various categories and, and you can, uh, um, you know, just listen to those episodes that are related to that topic as opposed to chronologically, um, on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those uh, platforms, all at drive on podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can find contact information on, on the website and where to subscribe and listen to, to the podcast all right there. Outstanding. And please, listeners, make sure you do that for both of us. Subscribe, rate, review, do all that good stuff. Uh, I I don't think people who don't do podcasts, uh, they have a hard time understanding how important that really is, right? It does, yeah. With with the algorithms, uh, you know, uh, Scott's had some great guests. Every time you rate and review one of those shows, uh, it it gets them more exposure. And same thing on my show. Uh, So please do that for us. We'd really appreciate it. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that would be a huge help, uh, to, to do that. So, uh, so thanks, thanks again, Earl for, uh, for joining me and, um, you know, I'm glad to be able to, uh, uh, you know, join you as well. Um, it was a great conversation conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and thanks for the folks listening and, and, uh, you know, thank you for, for coming up with this idea. You know, I mean, we, we, we kind of glossed over, but like just when we were talking, Scott's like, well, you know, hey, let's do a joint episode. And so we did this on the fly, and I really hope you all enjoy it. And, uh, you know, for, for my listeners, uh, really thank you for sticking with us. I hope you enjoyed this format. Definitely let us know. And uh, on my side, I'll just uh, sign off with, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electricast podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electricast.